Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for keeping us. We thank you for standing in the gaps, interceding on our behalf. We thank you for your anointing that you provided us, the Holy Spirit to cover us, to, to teach us, to guide us, to fortify us, to build us up, to be who you called us to be. We thank you for this body of believers that comes together to really want to know your word, to want to know not just what your word says, but how we are to operate in your word and fulfill the things that you called us to fulfill. So we give you the glory and the honor. We thank you for all. We pray that this word go forth as it always will and not return to you void. We give you the glory and the honor. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So tonight, uh, we're going to talk about one of the most, um, one of the most sought after questions we all have asked or continue to ask or will one day ask. And that is, is it God's will? Now, typically we ask this question when we're at a crossroads, you know, should we marry this person? Should we take this job opportunity or should we, uh, you know, start a business or whatever the case may be? We have these different things we come up against and we're wondering, should we should we do it? Is it God's will for us to make this happen? And a lot of times we get stuck, you know, and at that at that crossroad and we either miss the opportunity or we take it. Things don't work out and we say, you know, maybe I should have took the other opportunity and we're we're not really, you know, moving along life with a sense of certainty uh, because we're, we're we're wondering, well, was this God's will for me to do this, or is it His will for me to take this next step? So I want to talk about tonight uh, God's will for our life, and from the smallest things that we deal with to major events, major expected and unexpected things that happen in our life. But before we really understand God's will for us, we definitely have to understand the free will of man that was given by God, that was instituted by God uh, when he first created man. And we find this Genesis. We're going to go to the book of Genesis and we're going to cover uh, three uh, key points or three key obvious uh, details where uh, God shows us free will, his establishment of free will and how we ought to operate in it. But before we get started, I know there's a lot of people who are uh, I've talked to so many over the years who say, you know what, I'm not really concerned about what happens in in this life. I'm just going to live it because God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. So, you know, he knows if I'm going to go to heaven. You know, I hear this a lot, especially in today's time, uh, because so much goes on and a lot of things happen that are out of the control of, of many people. So they say, you know what? I just say God is sovereign. Call it a day. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman um, several months back and he uh, he said, you know, there's nothing that we could do to stop God's will. There's nothing we could do to change what he has already written in time. So let me just, you know, go on and live my life. And then you have I had another gentleman say that, you know, why would God create us? And create people knowing that, that some were destined for eternal damnation. 
I think a lot of us, we kind of get ahead of ourselves. And I mean that literally. We get ahead of who we were designed to be, who we were created to be. And God never put in us the, the thought process to be able to grasp eternity, to be able to grasp how he operates outside of eternity, but comes into time and operate and the way he sees the end from the beginning and he knows it all, you know. Um, and when you look at uh, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, you know, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, nor are my ways, uh, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. You know, he says, for as the heavens are as higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, God is telling us in Isaiah, there's certain things we're never going to figure out in this time, in this flesh, with the understanding that we have in our mind. And he never really called us to figure it out. It wasn't our it wasn't something he's designed for us to do. He really called us to really, in the end of the day, obey his will, you know, follow out his will. All right. And so when we go to the book of uh, Genesis chapter one, we look at when God first established man, you know, his first uh, creation when it comes to life on 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 the earth. And it was mankind. And he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Right. He, he established us to be in his likeness or in his image and after his likeness, but we're not actually like God, you know, and this goes back to, like I said, we're not equipped to grasp all the things that God do. He never designed us to be that way. And this is important to understand because we could spend our entire life trying to figure out what God's will is for our life in comparison to how he operates in eternity and we'll miss what God wants us to do in time. You know, it's really important to understand that, you know, and he says, and God blessed them and God gave unto them to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish and subdue it. So uh, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the over the fowls of the air and over every living thing that move upon the earth. All right. So God had already had established man. He gave the man uh, these these basically these these commands. He he gave him the, the, the first doctrine, the first instructions of what to do. And, and he says man was initially designed to dominate over everything on the earth, um, every creature. And he wanted us to be fruitful and to multiply. He wanted us to replenish the earth. And then once God was done, he said, the Bible says that. Uh, in, 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 in Genesis two, it talks about verse 16, how it said the Lord God had commanded man saying of every tree of the garden, uh, you may freely eat. Right. And he said, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. He said, for of that day you eat it, you will surely die. Here, God continues to write out the doctrine, the original doctrine for man. He said he commanded him. You can eat anything in this garden from any tree except for the one of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them, here's the consequences for uh, if you eat from the tree of the good uh, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. And he said, 
God late goes on in verse 19. He says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam and to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So you see right here, this is the second uh, place where God um, creates free will. He gives man the opportunity to name the beast. God didn't tell him what to do. He did the hard part. He did the impossible. He created the uh, the animals and said, listen, you go ahead and name them and I'll see what you name them. And then the Bible says in verse uh, 19, right? Or verse, excuse me, verse 20. He says, so Adam gave them, gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. He says, but for Adam, there was not, not there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God saw that after Adam had uh, it created the or named the animals, that there was nothing compatible. There was no one compatible that can help Adam do what God had commanded him to do. So we go over to Genesis chapter three. And this is when we know the famous story of the fall of man. This is, uh, you know, something that's always will always be talked about until the end of time. You know, I heard a preacher say that actually once we get to heaven, he's going to kick Adam in the knees until he until he feel it because of what he did. So some people might want to still have some words with Adam after time. But but uh, in verse one, he says, now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, God, and this is the serpent, the serpent talking to the woman, he said to the woman, has God indeed said? He said, you should not eat from the tree of, of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. All right. And go down to verse four. It says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Say, for God knows that in that day. You eat of this, you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to her eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sold fig trees, excuse me, fig leaves together and made them coverings. All right. And we're going to read on uh, down all the way to 13. All right. And it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking into the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? All right. I want you guys to remember that scripture. He said, the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? which I have commanded you that you should not eat. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave 
to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived and I ate. So I want you guys to look at this here. All right. Uh, for those who we probably interact with that just says God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows everything and he knows the end from the beginning. And they leave, they use that as an excuse not to serve God or to um, uphold his, 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 his laws, have that relationship with him. I want to show you that ultimately God was showing us here in, in at least the first three chapters of Genesis that he was given man absolute free will. And I mean absolute because we all know through scripture that God is all all present. He's everywhere. But here's what he told Adam initially in Genesis uh, chapter uh, two. He tells him to name all the animals. He brought him and said, name every one of them. And he gave Adam free will to name every single ad, uh, animal in the garden. And he didn't have any type of a. Uh, dispute about it. He didn't stop Adam. He didn't say, well, I didn't like that name. That doesn't sound like, it. you know, he said, listen, you do it. And I want to see what you call it. And then he went on about his day. He created Eve. Right. And then in verse in chapter three, it, it, it really illustrates the free will. This to me, I think this is probably the biggest initial, um, if you will, the, the uh, illustration, I guess, if of how God demonstrates his free will. All right. You look at what God said. He, he, he told them before we get to chapter three, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam before he made Eve, he told Eve after she was made yet. They both did it. And the Bible says that God came back into the garden after they found out they was afraid. And here's what he says. He says, Adam, he says, where are you now? God being all present, Sovereign God being all present. Why would he have to ask Adam? Where is he? The reason being is because God gave Adam that free will to eat, to hide from God. He gave him that free will to disobey and eat from the tree. He didn't force him not to. He didn't, uh, you know, restrict them. He didn't grab him. He say because he knew. Being sovereign, knowing the end from the beginning, he knew that they were going to eat from the tree. Now, that's kind of deep for a lot of people to wrap their head around, but that's how God operates. He knows. But in his knowledge and in his uh, uh, sovereignty, he let Adam have the free will to eat from the tree, to hide himself, to disobey God. All right. He didn't tell Adam to confess. He didn't tell him to repent. He didn't even tell him to apologize. He was given absolute free will. All right. So when you look at the, the, the idea of God's free will, it's really bigger than what a lot of people may uh, have said or understood it to be over time. Um, because we, we say, well, you know what? I don't think I think God had created this play and he put these people in there and he wrote this. No, God, God gives every human being absolute free will. And here's the reason why he does this. The Bible says that God is the God of love, right? Love. And it says this, if you, we're going to read, if you go to first John four, seven through 10, we're going to read how it illustrates God 
and him being the God of love. Right. Uh, verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. In verse eight, he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. It says in this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he, but that he loved us and sent his son to be appropriation for our sins, to basically be uh, a, a, a replacement for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins. All right. Now, when you read this, you can see that, you know, God basically is all about love. That's all he's about. But nowhere in this description or this uh, illustration of God's love do it says that he sent his son to force people to serve him. He sent his son to uh, restrict them from doing certain things. He doesn't. He gives us complete free will because he loves us. He's not some tyrant God that says, hey, listen, this is the law. And if you don't do this law, then it's a done deal. No, the Bible continually illustrates the grace of God. How, you know, he says that he he is slow to anger because he doesn't want a single person to perish. He's taken his time in even to return to to bring his believers back with him, his children back with him uh, through the rapture, because he is that kind of loving God. You know, the Bible says that uh, this gospel shall be preached and then the end will come. This is one of the reasons why, on a side note, the end hasn't came yet. Because a lot of us don't know, I didn't know, and I've learned this, I've learned this in recent years, that the true gospel of God wasn't preached. We have the Americanized gospel, we have the westernized gospel, we have the multi-different perspectives of how people feel denominational gospel, but this unadulterated word of God hasn't been preached to all nations. And this is one of the things that's uh, keeping uh, God from doing what he says he's going to do, sending Jesus back. You know, because as the scripture says, his word should not return to him void. But I want you guys to look at that because when it comes to making decisions, we get to a place where we say, you know what? I don't think this is God's will for me. You know, I don't think he wants me to do this. Or you know what? This is exactly God's will. I can feel it. I know it. This is how he has this all lined out for me. I can see it all the way through. I want you guys to read, hear something that uh, was written by David in Psalms 37, 23 uh, through 25. He says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. All right. David even goes on to just blow up God even more. Just give him so much more credit. He said, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And he said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their descendants begging bread. David is illustrating here how the steps of a man are ordered by God. They are ordered, commanded, just like they were back in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and all throughout Scripture. From the beginning till now. But he goes on to the very next verse. It says, though he fall." He shall not be utterly cast down. He's telling us that, yes, God orders our steps. 
He 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 orders the route we should take. He orders it. Hey, go this way, go that way. But he doesn't make us do it. He doesn't command us in such a way that we are restricted from going another way. He 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 plainly tells us in his word how we ought to live, what we ought to do. And I want to tell you guys that when it comes to the spouse we pick, the job we desire, the college we want to attend, or any other decision we choose to do in life, God doesn't make those decisions for us. He he doesn't tell us, you know what, that's not the right spouse for you. That's not the right job for you. God gives us free will. How do we decipher if this person should walk, should I walk down the aisle with, or is this job the one I should uh, apply for, take this, this application? It really comes down to his work. It really comes down to knowing what the word says, because if you look at the book of Proverbs, it clearly tells you what kind of wife you should have. If you look at the, the different examples of the men in the Bible, it tells you what kind of man you should have in your life. What type of job should you get involved in? Should you obviously just for, you know, for just for the lack of uh, terminology, we obviously know we shouldn't be on the street selling drugs. So that's not a job that we should have in line with scripture. We are supposed to take decisions, make decisions, go down paths that ultimately give God the glory. That, that gives God the, the, the praise in what we do. Um, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's important to understand this because like I said, we can get stuck at a place and we have two opportunities in front of us and we're thinking, man, should I go left or should I go right? God will order your steps, but your steps will be ordered according to his word, according to the scriptures. That's why he gave us, as they say for years, the B-I-B-L-E. The basic instructions before leaving in earth, leaving earth. It's important to know this because, you know, we will spend hours and, and, and days pleading and begging for God to show us the way. Or we'll, you know, we're calling up a pastor or a deacon or elder saying, which way should I go? Which route should I take? And God is saying, listen, you got the free will and you got the book, the, 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 the manual of how to operate in that free will to stay in line with what I called you to do, who I called you to be. Um, and if we get out of line and we're not in, in place, we obviously know what happens. In Hebrews 12, 6, he says, the, for the Lord, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastises and scorns every son whom he receives. So you go back to the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, they fail to obey God, have the absolute free will to do what God has called them to do, to obey. He gave them the power and the ability to do it. They knew the word. They knew the scripture. The scripture said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. But they went after what was appealing to the flesh rather than what was pleasing to God. And they got chest tagged chastise in a way that you know we're all dealing with today because of their their actions you know so uh when you when you 
one of the things you can look at too, you know, it's like, are we walking the right path? Are we doing what God has called us to do? You know, and I started to, when I, when I was thinking about this uh, sermon and God had given me this, um, this message to preach, one of the scriptures that he really brought me to that uh, really stood out was Luke 10, 27. And this is about a lawyer who really was trying to, you know, test God, test Jesus Christ as, as they always do, you know, as, as always been done. It says, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him and saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him in verse 26, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love and your neighbors as yourself. You know, God is telling us he's telling this lawyer, you know, the, the legalistic person just trying to figure out what actual steps or processes to take that he can adhere to, which is truly impossible. He's telling this person, listen, end of the day. God needs to be first in everything you do. Whatever it is that you do, he needs to be first in your heart, in your mind, in your strength. And you need to treat your neighbor the same way you need to be treated. That's it. That's the that's the the the, the free will, the fundamentals of free will that God has given us. When we do this, as Jesus preaches in a, another sermon, he says, when we Love the Lord our God with all their heart and our neighbors as itself. He said, he said, this fulfills the law of the prophet. This completes everything. This completes really our free will. This is what makes our free will worth it. This is what makes it our free will um, enjoyable, peaceful to where we know, okay, this is God's will for my life. This is the route I need to take because I'm going to please him. And even if we get into a place, we've all been there before. If you live long enough, you've been in the place where you know you probably shouldn't have took that route. But how we respond to that, are we giving God the glory? Are we honoring him? If we're doing things or have done things that hasn't been pleasing to God, well, part of his will is to repent, to turn. Like I said, I share that because we get caught up sometimes stuck in a place where Oh, God, what should I do? Where should I go? Where should I turn? And God is saying, what does my word say? Is your actions pleasing to me? You know, have you humbled yourself? Have you have you, uh, you know, have you confessed your sins? Have you repented? Have you turned from that evil way? You know, I was having a, uh, uh, I had a, a family member say some very foul things to me and they accused me of some stuff that I didn't do. But for the sake of peace. I apologize for it. I know I didn't do it, but I know what holds up my peace and what holds up my blessings and what's not pleasing to God. So I, you know, humble myself and I'm grateful that God allowed me to even see that, to even have that mindset, because a lot of people today don't even see that. They don't even grasp it. You know, our instinct as humans, regardless of who you are and how long your walk with Christ being, our natural first instinct is to, you know, give folks the business when they do things that we're not that's not pleasing to us. 
But when we're walking with God, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and he's going to nudge us and be like, hey, we're going to get a conviction inside. That's not God's will. That's not his decision for us to make. You know, we need to take this path. So then when you look at the calling that God has on our life, you know, what if if if, if we are trying to decide do I want to be a pastor? Is God calling me to be a deacon, an elder, or a prophet, or an evangelist, or the different positions within the ministry? And I want to tell you, it says God will call you, but he won't force you. He'll call and command you, but he will never force his will on you. And you'll see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, Jonah, he was told to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. You know, God says, all right, you don't have to go, Jonah. But uh, what happens? He stepped outside of God's will and ended up inside of the belly of a whale. You know, like I said, we can see this from from really from Genesis all the way to Revelations, to the last uh, book of Revelations. And we'll see, uh, excuse me, last chapter of Revelations, we can see clearly that uh, if we don't follow his will, as the scripture says, We'll end up being chastised. You know, it's like God has laws that end of the day, we, we're not supposed to be breaking those laws. You know, it's like the law of gravity. You can test that law all you want to. And the higher you want to test it, <laughs> you know, the worse the response is going to be. So when it comes to those positions of ministry that God that you may be feeling that God is calling to you, or maybe someone came and spoke and said, you should be a preacher, you should be a pastor. God will, God will call you to the ministry. In fact, everybody who comes into the body of Christ are in the ministry. They just don't know it. A lot of people don't realize it because the Bible says, go and make disciples. Everybody who gets uh, born again, uh, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they come into the ministry to this faith. Now what you do in the faith, uh, apostle, preacher, elder, evangelist, you know, those are different forms of discipleship. Those are different processes of being a disciple. Knowing God's word and doing God's word. So it still goes back to the free will. You know, Paul writes in uh let me track. Let me track back just a little bit here. What we're talking about what God will call us and He will command us in John three. Excuse me, John six four four. This is important to realize too. When God calls us, Jesus says, "He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." He said, "And I will raise him up at the last day." He said that none of us will even come to God to be in Him. If you get a call and you get something inside of you that says, you know what, I believe God's calling me to preach. He's calling me to teach. He's calling me to oversee a ministry. That calling won't come from
put on your life, or at least not even to uh, fulfill that calling. But I'm going to read in verse 14. It says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord to not strive over words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says, but shun profane and idle babbling, for they will increase in more ungodliness. He says, and their message will spread like cancer. Herminius, I believe that's how you say that, and Philetus are of this sort. So he actually names two people uh, that are causing confusion. They're causing uh, division. They're causing problems among the body of believers. In verse 18, he says, who have strayed concerning the truth. Saying that there is no resurrection, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overflow, overthrow the faith of some. So he's saying that these people are saying Jesus already came and went. And he didn't, they, they have took over the faith of some people. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal that the Lord knows those who are his. Okay, he said, God knows whose are his, but this is what he says. He says, and let everyone who named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So this goes back to the free will that we've been given by God. You know, he clearly tells us here that, listen, God knows who's his. But even though he knows who's his, who, who belongs to him, who is his children, who are uh, of his body, he says, let everyone who names him who calls him Christ, who say they believe him, depart from iniquity. All right? So how do you get, if, if you're wondering when it comes to the ministry, all right, I, I really want to talk about this because I've heard people say, man, I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your courage and all these different things. And first of all, I tell people that's coveting. Don't ever wish you have anything like anybody else. That's the first thing that'll destroy the wisher. And if the uh, 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 the person they wish to be like don't correct that, they end up could get messed up. And we say that a lot in church today. You know, I, I've I've given several um, teachings before at different churches, and as soon as I'm done teaching, someone will come up to me and say, "Oh, that was an awesome word. Oh man, that was great." But I, I will tell them, no, to God be the glory, because I couldn't do it. On my own. And there was a time I wouldn't do it. Period. So to him be all the glory. But if you're looking to get into the ministry. God is calling to the ministry. But you feel like you're not ready. You feel like you are. Uh, uh, and when I say into the ministry. I mean actually taking up a position. 
in the ministry. And maybe you're in the ministry, but you're you're missing some pieces. You, you know you're missing pieces. We all get to that point. You always have things that we know that maybe the, the public don't know, but we know that we got some things we need to work on to be uh, where God needs us to be, to get that calling, to get that that overflowing of his anointing, that ability to, to do what he has called us to do. Um, Paul clearly tells us exactly how to make that happen in the very next chapter, or excuse me, the very next verse. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, he said, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. He says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He goes on to say in verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quell, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are of opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So Paul is telling us, here when he writes to Timothy is that if we want to really get into God's will and we want to walk out his divine purpose, particularly in this body of believers, this this, this ministry of Christ to be an apostle, an elder, a deacon, because God is calling us somewhere. He don't just call us into the ministry to fill a seat or to get on the phone line and just hear. He's calling us to something. He wants us to do something in uh, his 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 ministry his in this in this body of believers. It was already established back in the garden. God told man, dominate, have dominion over everything that creeps on this earth, be fruitful and multiply. And now, per post Christ, we are, you know, called to be disciples and. We have a particular position that he wants us to walk in. But he's saying that when we cleanse ourselves of the latter, meaning when we flee our youthful lust, when we get past the, these desires to say, you know what? I have to spend every Saturday watching the football game. I have to go to the bar and grill and hang out with my friends. I know I don't do all the things that they do, but these are my peoples, right? Or... I have to associate with a certain group. I have to watch this TV show. I'm committed to this show. I got to get to the next season, next episode, whatever case may be. These youthful lusts is really because we are still young um, spiritually. And we desire as children the things that are of a, of a, in a sense, low spirit. You know, like children, they want to play all the time for the most part. They want to have fun. They want to just have really no cares about anything and just go about their day. But if Paul is telling us, if we want to be fit for the master, prepare for every good work, then we have to 
we have to leave those things behind. We have to cleanse ourselves with those, from those things. This is why fasting and praying and going into Bible study and having that, as Paul talked about, that desire to be diligent to present ourselves approved unto God so we can rightly divide our word. This is when this, this makes sense. We have to rightly divide his word. You know, I'm not saying uh, that you are have to just cut out everything in your life and just stay completely in the word. You know, because uh, I th I want to say, let me see if I can pull the scripture up real quick. There was a man that Jesus Christ had healed. Jesus Christ had healed a man uh, in Mark 5. And this man was, he had probably the worst mental health problem we, we've probably all met. He was in a graveyard with no clothes on. He broke free. They couldn't even chain the man. He was so demon possessed. They couldn't literally chain this guy up. And he was in the graveyard cutting himself. And when Jesus came to the man, he said, who are you? He said, we are legions. We are many. And if you don't know, legions is about 6,000. It's a definition for 6,000. Typically an army when they say legion. So this man was possessed with 6,000 demons, roughly 6,000 demons. And the Bible says that Jesus healed a man and he became sitting clothed in his right mind. And then Jesus got his, got his 12 apostles and he got back on the road to do what he was called to do. And the Bible says that this man begged God. He begged Christ to go with him. He begged him. He said, I want to go with you. And he said, nope, don't come with me. He said, go back and tell the great thing that the Lord has done for you. So he didn't get to go into the ministry as he thought he was going to go into it. I mean, you know what? That that would have been amazing testimony. This guy goes from a 6,000 demon possessed uh, um, man to someone that Jesus had picked to, to go with him. But he said, go back and just be a witness. Go back and share your story. And help set other people free. So listen, God is calling us uh, to his will. And when it comes to our will, it, it really lines up to, are we pleasing God? Does it make sense? You know, are we marrying somebody that God's going to get the glory out of? Will this job, will I, will I go into the job and give God the glory at this job? You know, whatever it is that we do. And it's real simple. We don't have to spend hours and hours uh, of prayer and fasting trying to figure out what we need to do. Because God going to let us decide for ourselves. Period. He's already told us. The word is already written of how we ought to live our life and the road we ought to take. Now it's up to us to uh, turn those pages, get to those scriptures and say, okay, yep. So here's here's what God says about uh this company that I'm keeping, you know, uh, uh, I think who, who said that David, that make no mistake, a bad company corrupts good character. So that's a no brainer right there of who we ought to associate with, uh, you know, spend all our time with. We ought to spend our time with people who we, you know, our decisions, as I said before, should, should glorify God. 
So that's really what I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight to encourage you with that, because, you know, God knows we live in time. He's not, you know, like like some people just think he's way up in the cloud. He, he don't see what we're doing. He didn't fell asleep at the wheel. God understands that we live with only so much amount of time. And in that time, he wants us to live for him. He wants us to give him the glory. He wants us. He wants our will to really be his will. And he doesn't want us to spend our entire life trying to figure out, well, God, is this your will? Is that your will? That's why he gave us so much wisdom and knowledge, understanding, steps, guidance, keys, details, information right here in the Bible, right here in his word. And we have to get to that word every day to ask, to, to answer the questions as of what should we do in our life? He's really made this simple for us. You know, I've heard people say all the time, you know, this walk with Christ is hard. It's, 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 too, it's too difficult. It's too challenging. You know, it, it's just so, it's so unbearable at times. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of heard it all. I've said it myself so many times, you know, dang God, why has it got to be like this? Why it got to be so difficult? But then I go back and I look at what Jesus Christ said. Uh, what he said in Matthew 11, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He said, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Right. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, this walk with Christ, this this walk trying to dis discern his will and what he would have us do. The reason why it becomes so challenging for us. Because in the, the day, we haven't learned from Christ. We haven't taken up the cross and, and learned from him. And you look at him at Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. The only time Jesus looked to be extremely worried, stressed out, frustrated, anxiety, the whole nine yards you can probably pull out of this uh this scenario here is when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked God to take away this cup. Three times he prayed for the same thing. Three times. He said, God, if you will take this cup for me. And he prayed so hard, the Bible says that he sweated blood. And the reason why Christ became so aggravated and frustrated and dealing with this, 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 this uh, challenge of sweating with blood is because he wanted his will to be done and not God's will. But when it says, uh, learn from me, this is Christ saying, he says in Matthew 11, 29, he says, learn from me. Well, what we learn from Christ is that in the end of the day, he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. So after all that seeking him, God didn't change his will. He knew his will. He knew his word from the beginning. He knew what he came to do. It was already written. It was already established. But he spent three uh, times in Garden of Gethsemane, spent three occasions trying not to go to the cross. Like I said, we know God's will. It's written right here in this Bible. And we could save ourselves a lot of stress and anxiety if we just take up his will for our life. And what we should do, He'll, his will will tell us clearly what direction to take and where should we go. 
You know, some people will come along. He'll send people as he as he done in scripture to tell us, hey, go this way, go that way. But this is typically when we're walking with God. When we're having when the Holy Spirit is leading us. You know, when we've set us set set God aside in our heart to that, he is basically number one in our desires, our thoughts and our uh, what we seek to achieve in this life. You know, I I know that that's a difficult decision to do when we don't put ourselves aside. It's a very challenging thing to do. That's why, you know, a lot of times, like I was dealing with some financial uh, issues with a bank today. Uh, Unnecessary stuff I was dealing with. But what made it even more unnecessary was I started to stress out over the thing I couldn't fix, you know, and and my day started to really go downhill, but I had to remind myself of what world I live in, who's the God of this world and how the enemy's always busy. And as soon as I grabbed hold of that inevitable truth that Christ said that this is Satan's world, he's the God of this world, uh, the, the 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 negative feelings and frustration that I was dealing with went away. So it's important for us to understand when we say, "Well, what's God's will for me? What's God's will here?" WWJD? What would Jesus do? It's right there in the in the Bible. He tells us what route to go. You know, my mom was 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 real adamant about making sure I read Proverbs when I was younger, and I'm glad she did. Because for for men, particularly, there's a lot of good information in there, guidance, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But for everybody, but particularly for men, it it talks so much about what we ought to do, especially when it comes to, um, you know, obeying the laws of our our father and our mother, respecting our parents, things like that. So I want to encourage you guys to really, you know, get in the word. End of the day, there's no substitute for it. There's no substitute there this this new this new found you know self gratifying messages that are being preached all over the world today it's in you this you know you you know all these different really just a peace self these messages are not they they're, they're taking us from the the truth of God's word he gave us this book so we can make sure uh, we don't miss his will for our life. So stay in God's word. It's in, it's important. It's critical. It is the foundation for everything that God has established for us in this life and obviously the next. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us strength. We thank you for blessing us in every way, shape, fashion, and form. Thank you for showing up in our lives, even in retrospect. We know that this word will go forth as a power to change our lives, to fortify us, to uplift us, and to allow us to be a light and a salt and do your will. We give you the glory and the honor. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.